Golly. Today's gospel is a whopper. When I was reading the text appointed for this Sunday at the start of this week and came across this gospel, I said, seriously, God? Seriously? For Consecration Sunday, this is the gospel that's going to fall on Consecration Sunday? I had hoped that it would be something a little more gentle, because this is not a gentle gospel. Unlike Matthew's um, giving of the Beatitudes, Luke does not spiritualize the poverty. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But in Luke's gospel, he says, blessed are the poor. In Luke's gospel, he's talking about money. He's talking about possessions. I looked for another message to deliver to you today in hopes of finding something that maybe would be more welcomed But God reminded me in my prayers that I'm not in charge of your listening or your response. I'm only in charge of the delivery. So I hope that you won't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Perhaps you've gotten warmed up in the awareness that God favors the poor. As one commentary said, God is partisan. God is always on the side of the poor. An interesting word at this time in our life together. Maybe you've become aware of that because we've been reading Luke all year long, starting at the beginning of Advent, the starting of the church year last year, the Sunday that falls right after Thanksgiving. We have been working through Luke all year long, and so you've heard of God's favor of the poor. It's in Luke's gospel that Mary sings her song, as we know it as the Magnificat. And you remember these words. She sings, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. A little further in Luke's gospel in the fourth chapter, Jesus is at his hometown in Nazareth and is reading from the scroll of Isaiah in the temple. And the passage that he was appointed to read on that day were these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You remember probably from that story that Jesus says, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. And the people who heard him say that grew angry and drove him out to the edge of the cliff because they wanted to push him off. Luke's gospel has other stories that highlight God's favor for the poor. It's in Luke's gospel that we have several stories that we don't find anywhere else, like the rich fool who talks about all the grain that he has brought in for one year, and he is going to tear down his granary so he can build bigger ones to store the grain. And in that gospel... Jesus says, you fool, your life will be taken from you this very night, and now where will all of that go? It's in Luke's gospel that we read about the rich man and Lazarus. As you recall, the rich man lives a life of luxury, and Lazarus is outside of his gate, filled with hunger and sores. And in the coming of the kingdom, when the roles are reversed, it's Lazarus who is seated beside God, and the rich man who is down in Hades. Surely you recall that was a story at the beginning of the summer 
And the moral of that is that if you didn't listen to the prophets, you wouldn't listen even from someone who returns from the dead. Additionally, we heard just last Sunday the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who climbs the tree because he wants to see Jesus pass that way. And in relationship with Jesus, he decides to give half of what he has to the poor. And if he's defrauded anyone, he, pays them, he said he will pay them back four times as much. So maybe you've been reminded of God's favor for the poor. That God comes close to the poor, providing for their very needs. God speaks a lot about his love for the poor as we find it in scripture. It can be a difficult message for us to hear because as I reminded God, St. Stephen's is in Ridgefield. Ridgefield is in Fairfield County. Fairfield County is the richest county in the richest country in the world. That's what the data shows. But again, I think that this has good news for us, to remember that God is with the poor. And if you are poor, or if you have been poor, you know of God's provision for you. You know of how God draws close to you, providing for your very need. You know how God has made sure that you have what you need for life. There are so many references in the scriptures about money and possessions, and I think it's because money is just really a benign thing. It can be translated into all kinds of stuff, and so often we do. We use it to address all kinds of things. You might be interested to know that in the parables that Jesus, is tell, Jesus tells, he tells 38 parables in the Gospels, 16 of them have to do with money and possessions. That's almost half. In the Gospels, one out of ten verses of Scripture deal directly with the subject of money. In the Bible total, there are over 2,000 verses that deal with money and possessions. And I have to believe it's because we often use money to address bigger things that actually money doesn't satisfy. Only God satisfies those very longings. Sometimes people use money to address their worry. Sometimes people use money to address their fear. Sometimes people use money to give them a sense of security or power. And we are challenged by the gospel message to not put money where it doesn't belong. That the real answer to the worry and the fear and our desire for security is alone in God, as we know God in Christ. I thought I might offer up a little bit of a visual image of this. I have here in this shoebox something that is very breakable. It's a light bulb. And you can imagine that if I were to just place it in here and this were to make its transit or something, it would get broken. So I padded it, you see. I put a lot of paper in there to keep it from jiggling around. And I, can, I think this is about $41 worth of safety. If I throw in the ones on top, it comes to 50 But you can see that it's definitely safe. So what would happen then if I were to take out this money? Millicent, can you bring me the offering plate? Let's see if it'll... It might fall out a little bit, but you can just come back and get it in a second. Don't worry if I'm busy talking. Thank you. Now, if I were to put this in this box now and send it off for transit, it would most certainly break. 
So we know that just with these very tangible, real things, some padding is necessary, but I think maybe bubble wrap would be good, or even some plastic grocery sacks, or even torn up newspaper. There are other ways to get this safely there than to use money. But what if we use this as a metaphor for all that's valuable in our lives? We too want to make sure that that which we care most deeply about makes it through life. That we don't lose what we really find important, which we know is vulnerable and fragile. And so sometimes we want to fill this with money to make our lives feel safe. If I were to put this in here, and metaphorically, and you saw that it was empty, you would say, Whitney, there's nothing in there. But I challenge you, is that true? The reason I challenge you is because of Paul's words in Scripture. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he says these words, We are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet are well-known. As dying and see, we, we are alive. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul calls our bluff. He says in the life of faith, we have everything we need, even when it can look like we have nothing. And so we are invited through this annual time to check our grip on that which we hold, uh, the money that we have. We are invited to see and consider if we've maybe misplaced our money, treating it maybe as padding for something, as opposed to an agent of responding to that which God cares about, the poor and the needy among us. It's in that discipline that we come to discover that that which we really need, our safety and our security, our longing for wholeness can only be met in Christ. We hear that in our letter that we read this morning to the Ephesians. In Christ, in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of your inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. The author goes on to say, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what it is to hope, to the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the work of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It can be hard to not feel challenged by the scripture. In fact, I think everyone feels challenged by this scripture. I remind you that it's not my job to judge you. 
It's only my job to give you the space to consider what it is that God is inviting you into. Perhaps you resist it, but that's your own journey. The message is true. God comes to the aid of the poor. And if we want to see Christ, we go there too. And we discover in that presence all that Christ has to offer us beyond what we could even imagine. This is what we're inviting these three young people into today in their baptism. And it is what we're challenged to remember in our own lives. Sometimes we have to check our grip. Sometimes we have to look again to see if we've misplaced our money. And we get to consider again how it is that God wants us to follow him. None of us does this perfectly. It's a journey for every single one of us. Each of us will be judged. So we come together today to take stock of it once again, to consider how it is that God invites us to respond. As you come forward for communion, Justino and Marilyn are going to distribute the bread at the altar rail, and I'm going to be over at the baptismal font. So as part of this day, if you feel a tug of Christ on your life in a way which you want to acknowledge, I invite you to come over for a time of prayer. You may not even have words about it. Don't worry about that. We are invited to live for the praise of his glory. We are encouraged to know that that is all that we need and want. It will fulfill us beyond what we can ask or imagine. To live for the praise of God's glory is God's call on each of us. Amen.